We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome once again to Pop Goes the Torah, your podcast for looking at pop culture through the lens of the Jewish tradition and looking at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And we'll be your hosts today as we talk about the latest season, the last season of the Netflix series Orange is the New Black. So we'll be talking about uh, the latest season, this last season of Orange is the New Black, as well as kind of the entire scope of the series, uh, looking at it from a Jewish perspective and and, uh, showing uh, what it might have to teach us uh, filtered through both of those prisms. Um, So Jesse, you want to get us uh, started off talking about uh, this latest season and uh, and about Orange is New Black in general? Sure. Uh, season seven kicks off uh, a show that I think really um, was groundbreaking in that it showed the insides of prison, the insides of a woman's prison, um, the evolution uh, from a um, men minimum security prison to them going to max them going to maximum security it dealt with issues of race and how race plays a role in injustice um and the challenges of the justice system how the privileges of the main character uh piper who is played by taylor Schilling, um are different than other characters uh, who are people of color. Um, the last season begins, uh, the previous season ended with Piper being released. And this last season, season seven, begins with how she tries to re-engage in society. Um, and it shows the challenges of re-engaging in society, uh, even for somebody like sh- she is a white woman of privilege who comes from wealth, uh, re-engagement is hard because of the uh, limitations that probation officers put on them, uh, because of the urine specimens that are often taken, which is a whole separate issue about the connection between uh, drug addiction or the assumption of drug addiction in the criminal justice system and uh, crime, uh, but also the curfew that is placed on her the challenges that she has in keeping a job and you have to have a job when you're on probation and yet she has these probation hours uh or these curfew hours put in place which makes it difficult to keep a job even during normal hours uh and it i think speaks to why the rate of recidivism is so high in this country, but that's also juxtaposed with uh, the character Tasty, who was released from prison a couple of seasons ago and a couple episodes later returned to prison because uh, re-engaging in society was so difficult. One of the big changes of this season um, is twofold. There's one, the hiring of a new 
uh, Warden. That Warden is a young black woman and the changes that she tries to make in restorative justice, the changes that she tries to make in making it really a department of corrections, not a department of punishment. Um, but also the role that ICE plays in this season. Many uh, county prisons and many private prisons have contracted with ICE as President Trump and his administration has increased the number of uh, undocumented immigrants that they intend to uh, incarcerate and put in prison. Uh, they don't have enough space in ICE detention facilities. So what has happened as a result is that they're contracting with private prisons and they're contracting with county prisons to rent beds in order to detain these immigrants. But in the process, they're essentially making these immigrants no difference than prisoners themselves and suggesting that they've... Uh, that they are just as guilty of um, of committing a crime. And that's what we really see as uh, MCC, the private prison company in Orange is the New Black, they end up uh, opening up a facility uh, for ICE detainees. And um, we get there because uh, two characters, uh, Blanca and Maritza, uh, end up in that ICE facility. One, she thought that she was being released, uh, but actually, even though she had a green card, because she was a part of the riots at Litchfield, ended up being transferred to this ICE detention facility to eventually be um, sent back to the country that she is from, a country that she no longer had a relationship with. And then Maritza, who thought she was born in the United States um, and was released from prison um, and was at a nightclub when there was an ice raid and was picked up because she couldn't show proof of citizenship. And turns out she was essentially a dreamer. She was brought to this country as a baby uh, and America was the only country that she knew and ended up in this ice holding pen as well. Uh, and it's a holding pen where women uh, immigrants are kept before their trials, before they are assumed that they'll be deported. And what's so troubling is the conditions in the ICE prison are even worse than what's going on in the minimum or maximum security prisons. There are no phones, there aren't guards, there aren't visiting hours, there's no access to the outside world. And it seems that there's really little to no hope for them at all. And that becomes a main focus of the season um, which is certainly appropriate, Mike, because of the role that ICE and the detention of immigrants and locking up of immigrants uh, in this country has really been front page in the news uh, for a couple of years now. Yeah, absolutely. So there's 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 a lot to uh, to go off of there, right? There's uh, the role, um, the theme in the show about uh, the, the nature of of justice uh, and. Uh, whether whether we have a, uh, a a system of of punishment or whether we have a system of of corrections, which is a, a really important uh, and uh, and fascinating theme that that has run throughout the show's uh, tenure. But uh, but you really uh, picked up on and, and gravitated to uh, this uh, this immigration theme uh, and focus that was on this latest season, and I think for, you know for for good reason. 
uh, in large part because it's it's so present in the news. And, and I wonder if if you uh, can uh, enlighten the listeners on um, on the comparison between what what we saw in in this latest season of Orange Is the New Black and what you saw when you recently went to. Um, an ICE detention center uh, nearby you in New Jersey. Sure. Um, the synagogue that I am a part of, the community I'm a part of, Congregation Beth Ellen South Orange, we have a partnership with First Friends of New Jersey and New York. Shout out to them, a wonderful organization which works with faith-based communities to organize volunteers to visit detainees uh, in ICE facilities. Um, because as it is stated and, and clearly shows in Orange is the New Black, there's no connection uh, to the outside world. There's no access to visitors. There's no access to legal aid. Um, you can only use a phone if you can pay for a phone car, but there's no commissary. There's no way for you to even make money. Uh, so you really feel this lack of connection and first friends of New Jersey and New York does a great job of recruiting and training volunteers to visit detainees who are detained in these ice facilities just to give them hope and to give them friendship, literally, to um, make sure that they know that people are there and people care about them uh, and people are worried about them and looking out for them. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, especially since this was a main theme of this season of Orange is the New Black, uh, two actresses on Orange is the New Black, um, uh, those that play the characters of Daddy and um, McCola, Officer McCola, um, they actually recently volunteered with first friends of New Jersey and New York to visit uh, immigrants who are being detained by ICE as well wow. in these New Jersey and New York facilities. Uh, but they made arrangements for uh, a handful of the local <coughs> clergy to visit the Essex County Corrections Facility, um, which is the Essex County Jail. Uh, and in there, there are county prisoners and federal prisoners and ICE detainees. Uh, and it's really been a uh, controversy in our county because our county receives over $100 per night per person that they detain for ICE. So the federal government is paying our county $100 per bed per night, uh, roughly 800 beds filled. That comes out to over $30 million a year that our county is making in revenue on the backs of these immigrants being detained, many of whom have lived here most of their life, many of whom, uh, you know, maybe got a speeding ticket and all of a sudden they enter in the system and now they're being detained. Or um, what they did wrong was they uh, falsified somebody else's social security number. They were using somebody else's social security number. Why? So that they could pay taxes and pay into social security, even though they themselves would never receive it. Um, they are here and they are human and they are part of our country and part of the fabric of our country. Uh, but because they don't have documentation to fight for and prove their citizenship, um, they end up in prison and treated like prisoners. So we went for this tour of the Essex County, uh, corrections facility and they try to present it like a dog and pony show that everything was perfect. And part of that was there was a scathing um, 
piece in the on NewJersey.com and the Star Ledger, one of the big papers in New Jersey back in December of 2018, criticizing the facility, the cleanliness of the facility and the showers, that there was mold in the showers, um, that expired food was being served. Uh, and so they went to great lengths to show how clean it was, how lovely the facility was. But what they could not deny and what nobody can deny is that they were treating these individuals the same way that they were treating county and federal prisoners. And we could speak at great length about the challenges of the um, criminal justice system and the county and the challenges of correction facilities as a whole, especially private prisons. This was not a private prison. But what greatly disturbed me was that in one wing, you have those who are there for murder. They murdered somebody. Um, and they are being treated the very same way that somebody who is uh, locked up and incarcerated because this is the only country that they have known um, because they did not come here in a way that our country deems to be legal. Um, and so it's deeply disturbing to see uh, human beings who their only fault is that they try to give their family better opportunity, safety, safe haven. Some of them entered at the southern border to declare asylum, and they're locked up and incarcerated waiting for their asylum cases to be heard. Uh, it's deeply disturbing. Um, and I think it's a disturbing challenge that our entire country is facing as we see that uh, many are, are trying to fight what ICE is doing and what the president and his administration is doing with ICE. Right. And, you know, there was this this one very little moment in, uh, uh, I think it was in the first episode of the of uh, season seven of Orange is the New Black, where, uh, you know, it's a sort of blink if you miss it moment where, where a guard uh, was gathering the women in the prison, I think maybe for rec time, and called them animals. Uh, and there was there's been a thread throughout. You know, one of the windows into into prison life is uh, that it's it's very common and customary. I think it's even protocol for guards to refer to uh, inmates not by their name but as inmate. Uh, and so there is a a sense. I think this is you know pervasive throughout the criminal justice system um, of the dehumanization. Uh, of uh, of individuals who are caught up in the criminal justice system, uh, which you, you can see is pervasive throughout our society and our culture too. You know, everything from the inability of people after having gotten out of prison to uh, to to get work, uh, to uh, uh, stripping people of, of voting rights uh, uh, after having committed felony, being been convicted of felonies. There, there's a whole range of issues that uh, that that stem from the dehumanization of people who are caught in the criminal justice system. And it feels to me like that is uh, not a byproduct, but a goal of uh, the current approach to immigration in this country, that, that if, we can, um, if we can label uh, migrants in some way as criminals, as lawbreakers, if we can group them with uh, with with the population of people that we deem to be uh, deviant, that we deem to be criminals, that we that we that we have already become accustomed to dehumanizing, uh, that uh, that we can therefore uh, strip immigrants of their humanity. You know, I, I was listening to um, 
the U.S. Uh, attorney in uh, Mississippi uh, after the most recent uh, raids there that had netted something like six or seven hundred um, undocumented uh, uh, workers uh, at uh, at poultry plants in, in Mississippi. And he kept referring to them. And I, I was very I, I noted this very starkly, you know, kept on referring to them as um, illegal aliens. Right. And that kind of language around uh, people who come to this country, you know, in in uh, searching for for better lives, some of whom um, uh, have uh, uh, been uh, explicitly uh, in process to, to declare asylum, uh, being referred to in such a way as to make them sound like criminals and to rob them of their humanity rather than as talking to them as individuals who may have unlawfully crossed the border. Um, uh, you know, that it just makes all the difference. Um, and and it uh, and it and it uh, creates a, uh, a very uh, dangerous scenario uh, in which uh, which I think kind of leads to where we are, where we are today, where um, where, you know, lots of behaviors against people can be justified if we strip them of their humanity. And I think that there's a direct line uh, between how. Uh, many people talk about and treat and and how the criminal justice system or the immigration enforcement system, I should say, uh, tries to portray people who are entering this country under various legal statuses uh, and in, in, in accordance with or in violation of various legal statutes um, and their and their humanity and a relationship between that and uh, and, you know, people going into a, a Walmart uh targeting people who are um, uh, uh, Latinx uh, because of this rhetoric and this language and this portrayal of, you know, kind of like illegal invasion of aliens that are trying to take over our country. Um, this sort of like swarming and teething mass of people um, that have been robbed of their humanity. And I think it's pretty clear, um, if it's okay for me to say, that the president's policies or his administration's policies are really only targeting certain immigrants for certain parts of the world, uh, right? That right, they right. welcome, yeah. that they were welcome immigrants from certain parts of the world, maybe with a certain skin tone um, and with wealth to support themselves. But most recently, when uh, it came out that they were suggesting suggesting that any immigrants that would have to be supported by welfare or have to be right. supported by any of our um, safety nets of our society that help people uh, in their time of need, um, somebody who is most vulnerable, they're leaving the only home that they know to seek safety and a safe haven in America. Um, they're saying, well, we're not going to support you. Uh, it's sending a deeper message. It's not right. just about enforcing the law, whatever that means, but it's really about saying that, um, or, or I think presenting a narrative mm. that's quite dangerous and xenophobic that is saying right. that only certain type of people are welcome here when the beauty of this country at least is supposed to be what it says on the Statue of Liberty, a poem by Emma Lazarus herself, a Jewish immigrant, Give me your tired, your give me your poor. The idea that we should be that safe haven for the most vulnerable. We should open our hands and our hearts to them. Um, we are a country of immigrants, um, and we should embrace all immigrants. Um, you know, the American Jewish community ourselves, even though uh, 
some in the American Jewish community date back to hundreds and hundreds of years. So many of us ourselves are descendants of immigrants who came to this country um, and our lives were saved. Their lives were saved because America opened its doors to them. Otherwise, we have no idea what could have become of them. Right. And, you know, um, Ken Cuccinelli, uh, who uh, was a former attorney general of, uh, of, of my state of Virginia, uh, who uh, now uh, oversees uh, the, uh, um, the uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, uh, responded to a question about the words of the Statue of Liberty when the administration came out with its rule about uh, public charges not being uh, uh, permitted, uh, uh, permitted uh, uh, legal entry. And, uh, and he said, you know, I-, I would amend the words on the, on the Statue of Liberty to say, you know, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free who can support themselves. And then when, when people pushed him on it, he said, you know, um, those words uh, were meant to refer to immigrants who are coming from European countries. Right. So he really gave away the game uh, with with that statement that I think you're you're absolutely right, that there's a that 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 it seems at least the subtext, if not the uh, if not if not outright in in, uh, coming from some people, that the that the goal um, is not necessarily to uh, criminalize immigration or even criminalize illegal immigration, uh, but to uh, criminalize uh, uh, Latinx, uh, Central American uh, brown immigration, right? You have that with the Muslim ban too, right? That that uh, that that it's really a, a a an attempt to say a whole segment of the world population uh, is not going to be welcome here, with with some very uh, small exceptions of people who are who are you know uh, in in the higher echelons of uh, of wealth and status. Uh, so that that's really unsettling and really disturbing. So I'm wondering, Jesse, what are the what are the Jewish issues um, at play, the Jewish values at play when we're talking about this, as as far as you see it? And um, and I guess the the other question is, you know, is there a um, a, a, a Jewish uh, value that would that 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 could guide our immigration system? Because I think a lot of when I talk to a lot of people in the Jewish community and in the wider community. You know, they, they talk about, well, the problem isn't immigration, it's illegal immigration, right? The, and, uh, and, and is there a Jewish value that we can draw upon to say, you know, this would actually be a Jewish approach to, uh, to borders and immigration, that, that, uh, that, that maybe we ought to have borders, that maybe we ought to have an immigration system, but this is, would be the way to do it Jewishly. Yeah, I, I have a problem with the term illegal immigration because that suggests that an individual is illegal, um, right. And no human being is illegal. Um, the the commandment mentioned more times in the Torah than any other commandment is to welcome the stranger, to love the stranger. Stranger, ger is not even really uh, the right word. Um, it's right. better translated as sojourner or, or migrant. Or m- um, migrant, right. And we in, specifically in are... In this week's Torah portion, by the way, uh, Deuteronomy chapter ten, uh, verse um, uh, verse eighteen, uh, that uh, that uh, it describes God as um, as a God who is ohev ger latet lo lechem la. God is the lover of the migrant, giving him uh, bread and clothing. And then the commandment vahavtem et ager ki gerim hayitem beres You too must befriend the migrant because you or love the migrant because you were migrants in the land of Egypt. 
So we ourselves need to be reminded, right? It's, it's easy for us to forget our past when arguably the Jewish community in this country, in America, has it as best as we've had it living in the diaspora in almost 2,000 years. But we haven't had a better since exile, since the Second Temple was destroyed in the year 70. Uh, and it's easy then for us to forget our past. It's easy for us to forget what it was like ourselves to be those migrants, to be those wandering Jews, not just when we were strangers in Egypt, but throughout much of those 2,000 years when we never felt home anywhere and were never considered to be welcomed anywhere. Um, it's almost as if we are no longer seen by ourselves as the lowest on the totem pole. And as long as we are critical of other immigrants, then we're protecting ourselves. We will still make sure we're not the lowest point on the totem pole. And as a result, I think it's deeply, deeply disturbing. Um, the Torah is clear that it says that you should treat the guarantee and the Toshav the same way that the migrants and the resident, the same way that there should not be a difference in legal status for those who are residents. I would translate that as those who are uh, citizens yeah. uh, and those who are sojourners, uh, that everybody should be treated equally and everybody should be treated as a human being. And the minute that we forget that, the minute we forget to treat somebody that like they are human and we strip them of their dignity is cruel to make half a dozen children share a mat on a cement floor with uh, one blanket between them to put right. diapers on elementary school age children because they aren't allowed out in the middle of the night to use the restroom is cool yeah. to have on audio tape recorded laughing at them for crying at night wanting their parents is cruel and if that is the message that this administration wants for this country then we can't claim to be the country that we believe we are and we believe we should be as jews our message is always to love the stranger our message is always to pursue justice. And uh, there was nothing just about the way our country is treating immigrants, legally or illegally for that matter. Uh, I have to say, even those who are in this country with documentation, uh, the fear that they have wandering the streets that they'll too be rounded up is a real fear. Going back to the show for a second, we see in Orange is the New Black when Blanca uh, finally is able to speak to Diablo, to her fiancé, and he finds out where she is, and he goes to visit her. And while he is visiting her, turns out that he doesn't have his newest green card on him, that the green card hasn't arrived in the mail yet, uh, the one that he has on him is expired, and he then is detained as well. And there's such a fear in this country among immigrants that if they go to the government for help, that they themselves will be detained in this unjust manner. Uh, and it's deeply troubling and antithetical to everything that the Torah teaches us and everything that we stand for as Jews. Right. I think that that's, I think that, that there's a couple of things in there that, that I just want to um, hold up and, and echo myself. You know, the first is, 
um, that while you know the the Torah may not have a very clear and particular answer to what the immigration policy should be in in the United States in, in 2019. I think anybody who who says that it does is, is probably being disingenuous. Um, nevertheless, the Torah is very clear about uh, about the, the standard that we should apply to citizen and and migrant alike or sojourner alike, right? that we should have one law um, and that we should apply the same standard, the same uh, legal system uh, to uh, to to uh, both communities uh, and treat uh, everybody equally and fairly under the law. Um, and and the second is that no no matter what the law is, what the country, what our country is doing right now um, to, uh, to to migrants, and this in particular the children, um, but really to, uh, uh, to to so many people who are now caught up uh, in um, the the criminalized immigration system um, is just plain uh, inhumane contrary to Jewish values, contrary to what we uh, want to believe our American values, contrary to, uh, to, to basic decency. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's really important. I mean, I, I, I might go so far as to say uh, that if, I, you know, if, if somebody wanted um, a, a, a Jewish perspective on immigration, um, I, you, know, you, look through the, you look through the Torah, you look through rabbinic tradition. Uh, I, granted, the world was different uh, in ancient times. Uh, but but really the you know the the um, the people who were kept out uh, from crossing more or less freely from uh, from countries between borders um, are people who posed you know immediate security risks right so if you looked like somebody who was kind of coming to do to to rampage a village across the border uh, uh, you would probably rightly be kept out um, but if you were someone who was you know, looking for uh, for for new work, for a new place to live, or escaping famine, as so many of our ancestors did, in multiple instances in in the Torah, um, that uh, that that uh, that that borders were permeable uh, for precisely that that reason. Um, and I think that um, uh, be, that that the Torah's point of view um, is that uh, all the world belongs to God, uh, and that uh, and that the borders that exist. Um, are are totally human innovations and totally human inventions, uh, and that your your place of origin uh, shouldn't be determinant of your destiny and and of your future, uh, and that we should uh, uh, we have responsibility to, uh, to to hold up and and humanize and empathize uh, with with uh, with people who are who are born into uh, dangerous uh, or uh, debilitating circumstances uh, who want a better chance and want a better life. Um, and just because I happen to be born, I had the good fortune uh, to be born in, uh, in, in, you know, in a, in, uh, in a uh, wealthy country uh, and in, in, in good circumstances, that doesn't give me the right to deny somebody else uh, uh, that opportunity should, should they seek it. And so I think that that um, is, um, is at least a Jewish perspective uh, to hold up uh, as uh, the country is is really really wrestling um, with uh, with with uh, immigration and uh, and and really wallowing in the um, uh, in in the in the horrible um, in the horrible stain that uh, on our conscience that that is uh, emanating from the Trump administration. There's one other thing. That, I, that I'll say in, in response to that, Jesse, I don't know if you saw this, but one of my teachers, Rabbi Arya Cohen uh, in Los Angeles, uh, wrote this uh, 
powerful piece uh, in uh, response to uh, uh, some criticism he was hearing from the Jewish community uh, for some of the uh, immigration uh, actions that Jews and Jewish communities were taking connected to Tisha B'Av. Um, and he said, you know, one critique is uh, about, uh, you know, that, that we don't have a very uh, coherent message for what immigration law and immigration policy should be. And he cited this uh, story of a group of interfaith leaders, uh, clergy who got a, a chance to meet with uh, Secretary of, uh, of, of Defense Robert McNamara during the Vietnam War. And uh, uh, they, they managed to get a meeting with him. They're anti-war clergy. And McNamara turned to them at one point and he said, you know, suppose that I listen to you and take, you know, and, and uh, pull out all American troops from Vietnam tomorrow. Um, how exactly would you suppose I go about doing that? And one of the clergy turns to him and says, uh, we're talking about letting righteousness uh, roll down like water and justice like an unfailing stream. And you want to talk to us about the plumbing? The plumbing is your job. Right. So what we what we believe is that we want to hold up the values from our tradition um, about uh, the kind of world that God envisions and the kind of relationships that we ought to be having with each other, the way we ought to be treating each other. It's uh, it's the government's job to figure out how to put those uh, into concrete policy. I think that's spot on. Um, myself and my congregation was a part of one of those Jewish actions at an ICE facility on Tisha B'Av, we partnered with Trua, uh, we partnered with Hyas, and we partnered with about 15 area congregations at the ICE offices at the Peter Rodino building, the federal building on Broad Street in Newark, New Jersey, and we chanted Eicha outside the building with a couple of hundred people, uh, with the idea being that uh, on this day that we mourn uh, both temples being destroyed. Uh, we're taught that they were destroyed for different reasons. The second temple was destroyed for Sinat Chinam, for senseless hatred. And I think there's nothing that exemplifies baseless and senseless hatred more so than choosing to separate children from their parents, ripping babies out of their parents' arms. And I go back to what I said earlier, that if the Torah tells us more so than anything else to love the migrants, then we're going to, metaphorically speaking, destroy the temple all over again if this is how we treat immigrants. Uh, that, to me, I read from this more so than belief in God, more so than wrapping tefillin or keeping kosher, observing Shabbat. The Torah tells us how do we identify in this covenant with God by loving the stranger because we too were strangers. Uh, and we mourn the fact that that is not our current reality, and we strive to make it again so. Um, that's, I think, a really great place to leave it, Jesse. Um, a really, really powerful um, uh, call to conscience and call to action um, uh, stemming from uh, our watching of Orange is the New Black and uh, from our observation um, as rabbis and as Americans of what's happening in our country. Um, so uh, w why don't we uh, um, put a uh, pin in the conversation about uh, the the uh, end of Orange's New Black and, and what's happening in our country uh, and uh, close out this week's episode uh, with, uh, with our favorite segment. Um, what are you going for this week? Jesse, what are you going for this week in pop culture? Staying on the th of uh, Netflix series, 
Uh, I am currently watching season three of Glow on Netflix. Uh, I was uh, hesitant about checking out the first season, although I was a big fan of my childhood of watching professional wrestling. And uh, I actually remember uh, watching Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling on TV uh, as a child when it had a very short stint. Uh, but the show has really taken on a life of its own. Uh, it's at a really interesting place. What are you watching, Mike? Um, I'm also uh, I'm also gonna give another Netflix series recommendation. Uh, this one is uh, connected to Orange Is the New Black. It is called Russian Doll. Uh, it stars Natasha Lyonne, who also stars uh, in Orange Is the New Black. Uh, she's great in Orange Is the New Black, and she's great in Russian Doll. Uh, Russian Doll. Um, is uh, so far just a one-season series, although maybe there will be more. Uh, and it uh, tells the story of, of Natasha, uh, who, this is not a spoiler, uh, dies in the first episode, uh, and then is shocked to discover that she comes back to life uh, at the beginning of the night that she dies uh, and continues to die uh, each night. Um, and, uh, um, and, and so she's trying to figure out uh, what's going on, what's happening, and, and how to fix it or how to stop it. It is kind of like a dark uh, Groundhog Day in, in that way, the, the classic Bill Murray movie. Um, and in the same way, it explores similar themes to Groundhog Day about, um, about redemption, about uh, uh, repairing uh, some uh, uh, past or present brokenness uh, in your life, about uh, changing the way that you're living. Uh, there's an additional dimension uh, to this, which is that... Um, we learn that uh, um, her story, uh, Nadia's story, is interconnected with another person's story uh, in the in the show, um, and so uh, so there's a a, a, a friendship relationship uh, built through uh, this um, this kind of shared experience. Um, really, really powerful. Especially the last couple of episodes are incredibly powerful, incredibly thought provoking, um, and especially poignant. Uh, in uh, in thinking about uh, uh, repentance, redemption, atonement uh, in this uh, season of repentance that we're about to enter into on the Jewish calendar. Excellent. I look forward to checking it out. Yeah, and I'm excited to watch Glow, too. All right, well, then I think that we're out of time for this episode of Pop Goes the Torah. <laughs> <laughs>